welcome to uh, If You've Come This Far, the podcast that Sean and I do, in which we uh, we set out to talk to interesting people about what they're doing to make life more meaningful. Uh, this episode, we're joined by Jim Schneider, Jim Schneider from Denver, um, and uh, and Jim and Sean met via Men Living. So, Sean, why don't you start out by telling us a little bit about our, our friend Jim? Yeah, so... Um... I, I, as I think we've talked about before, uh, Men Living has this thing called Men Living Connect. And the way it works is you complete a profile on the system and the system matches you with guys that have similar similar interests in the profile so that you can connect. And Jim and I had that. So I, I reached out to Jim um, and uh, just a wonderful guy. We had a great conversation. The other thing that was really interesting to me about Jim is Men Living has, has um has started to focus on the construction industry to create some some um, specific spaces for guys in construction, primarily because um, uh, the construction industry has the greatest rate of suicide by far and is obviously a male-dominated industry. So we thought, you know, if guys would come together and connect, have conversation, that that may be helpful um, with guys that could be struggling. So um, so Jim was very helpful in providing some insight into that. Um, but he's an author. He wrote a book called Fence Bat um, about really about his time with his family, his two kids and his wife, Aaron, Henry, Amelia and Aaron during uh, COVID. He wrote this blog for 450 days and then converted that into a book. Um, he's very revealing about himself and some of the challenges that he's gone through, um, but a wonderful man. And and it's uh, uh, it was great to talk to him. And I think the listeners are going to really enjoy him. His wife is really interesting too, and and they uh, they of course, you know, a month into the p- pandemic, uh, their their son Henry was diagnosed with autism, and so they were also navigating that as if as if the pandemic weren't hard enough, right? Um, yeah, and 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 Aaron was going to start a health coaching business right at the time that COVID started and pivoted actually, and now um, she's got a business focused on working with families. Um, that have neurodivergent children. So helping them work through, you know, after what what their families has um, gone through in learning about all the resources that are available, she she guides other families along that same route. It really, a really cool group of, of people. Cool family. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I love how you sort of like, we spent part of the time talking to Jim because we're both fascinated by, by book writers, like people who, who right. write books. And here you are just sort of discounting that you're like, oh, he trans he transferred his blog into a book. Like it's that simple. What do you, what do you mean I discounted it? I, I don't I I wouldn't consider it. I don't think I discounted it. I think you it. I was telling a story it. about 450 yes. blog posts and then he wrote a book. All right. I'll get Jeez. off the case. We'll let, well, and, we'll and now I think from the time we talked with Jim, he's actually started up another another blog uh called Honest Parenting. Um which is really good where he's kind of talking about a lot of, a lot of about how his kids are growing and how he interacts with them. And um, yeah, he's just, he's a really good writer, entertaining. And, and again, just very open and honest, vulnerable, um, a really, a really a genuine guy. Yeah. Sweet guy. Uh, all right. Well, let's, let's get onto the show. Here we go. It's nice to meet you, Jim. You too. Thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure. I think I so I think I have to open in, in how I met Jim. Um, so I I don't think we've talked about it before. So at Men Living, we have this thing called Men Living Connect, and it's I, what it is is you fill out a profile, and the system actually matches you up with other guys with similar profiles, and it'll actually give you a percentage of let's say quality of match based on that profile. And I'm not really sure what, what Jim and my percentage was, but I reached out to him um, and said, Hey, you know, I would like to have a conversation with you. Let's, let's connect. And actually what I, what I should have said is let's have a virtual date. Cause that's what I call this. Everybody gives me shit about it. Don't call it a dating service. It'll freak people out. <laughs> Come on. Can we just, just relax? Can just we be just real relax? about it. Come on. Yeah. Let's, can we just relax? And so it took it took us a little bit because Jim was on vacation and then he had COVID and then I, I then I think I had something but so eventually yep. we um, we had a nice opening conversation. Uh, I invited him to come to our small batch meetings on Tuesday morning, which he has been joining us for, 
and uh, I read his book. I follow his podcast. I'm, I, does it make me creepy? I'm kind of all in on Jim already. Does. Is it that does. weird? I love it. Yeah. Is that weird? <laughs> um, hey, feelings mutual, man. It, like, uh, you know, and, I've, uh, I, I've really loved uh, being part of the group and everything. Like I was just telling Todd, you know, because he introduced me to men living. And it's just like, you right. know, it's made a difference. I mean, I've been really participating for like, I don't know, two months. And it's made a difference. You have, right. Yeah. 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 So, and so now he's on the podcast. So, um, I, I don't even know what we're going to talk about, but he's here. And <laughs> we I got like lots, a lot right. to talk and, about. That's and, right. And so there we go. Right. That's good. Well, I think age group was one of the qualifiers, right? Like, I'm sure. Jim, you're probably roughly yeah. our age, right? You're around 50. No. Yes. I actually just turned uh, 49 about a month ago. Yeah, yeah, so just a shade under fifty. I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna be sixty at the end of June. I know I've, I you know I I'm very youthful, but you, you know I, I am older. I am I am older than both of you guys by. A, it's, I couldn't be your dad, but no, but I mean, but also like, right. oh my gosh, like it's uh, isn't it, it? It seems to me like I mean, of course, everything's relative, but as a kid, you know, looking up to, to parents oh, or whatever, you know, yeah. it's it's weird now when I stand back and think about you know how. <laughs> like things in my dad's life when he was my age, because my parents had me when they were like 22 and I had yeah, my first yes. kid at 39. So I have little kids and, you know, uh, I, I barely tie my shoes at 22. I don't know. <laughs> Taking care of kids. Yeah. Here's the other thing we got to get, get, just get this off the table. Mm-hmm. Um, when I did meet Jim for the first time, Behind him on his shelf, he had a Packers like like hat or logo or I don't I don't I, it's like a, little a lot helmet. of creepy yeah, little yeah. creepy little yeah. tchotchkes. You had more than one. There was like fifty, wasn't there? It's oh like yeah, there's a bunch weird... of stuff back there. One of my favorites is a classic. <laughs> okay. uh, I got a classic old uh, Fonzie pin. It says uh, "Sit on it," you know, like from the seventies. <laughs> yeah. Happy days, man. But yes, he's a Packer fan, Chris. Well, this that's about all the time we have. Thanks for joining yeah, us. Well, Jim. it's been good chatting with you guys. It's, yeah. <laughs> it, hey, let, let me put it this way: I'm not I'm not a very all-in fan these days. <laughs> yeah, little... things are a mess up there. Oh my gosh, yeah. It's, I, I'm one of these fans who's like, you know what? We had a really good run for a long time. We're due for a dry spell, so it's it's okay by me. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. I agree with you. Uh, who is your team, if I may ask, Chris? Uh, you know, I grew up in Southern Ohio, so I'm a Bengals fan. Oh, right on. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I, I like the, I like the bears, but, but like much like the current situation with the Packers, I mean, there's, there's not a lot to like, you know, in the last yeah. like, 20 years I've lived here. So, so anyway, I, I'm not huge in the NFL, but, um, but yeah. I, I know enough to not like the Packers. So that's okay. fair. Like I, it's, I recognize, I don't know if you, there's like, I can't remember which sports publication does like every year, like, you know, why your team sucks, you know, like this, uh, you know, beat down of like why other fans hate your team. And it's like the Packers are like, yeah, I always, I agree. Like I get it. <laughs> usually, usually it's because it's jealousy. Usually it's yeah, because they're good right, and yeah. everybody else is jealous, which I know, which I know a lot. You would know as well as anybody. I, I, uh, I would, to be I honest. So yes, yeah, I would. Yeah. I, I will, I will say I was always a Favre fan and his mm-hmm. fall from grace has been yeah. hard to watch. Amen. Like me too. Like I was a huge fan, like, you know, uh, and I honestly think that really, that whole thing put a dent in the armor for me of just like, yeah, you gotta be careful about looking up too much to anybody. That's <laughs> true. You just right. don't know. Right. Which is, I don't want to be that cynical, but it's also like, uh, okay. You know, you yeah. just never know. So let's start this, this conversation. So, um, one of the many interesting things I learned about Jim, when we connected, was uh, during COVID, he uh, undertook to write uh, a blog about his experience, his his and his family's experiences during COVID, and he wrote for four hundred and fifty straight days. Period. (laughs) Period. (laughs) Period. To start, and um, and so, um, and out of that came a book called Fence Bat, which we'll talk about. and, you know, I just, I read the book and there's a lot of interesting things about, about Jim and his family. And, and so maybe we just start with, you know, share with Chris and the listeners, the kind of motivation to undertake that, that effort. And then we'll kind of move from there. 
yeah, it's, you know, I think about it and at the time it felt like this, you know, I was when the shutdown, I started at the day that like the schools, you know, shut down essentially like when, you know, it was like all of a sudden the world kind of screeched to a halt and everyone said like, okay. And like in our case, it was like a week before it was supposed to be spring break and the school just called it extended spring break. Like, so we're mm-hmm. starting a little early. Yeah. And, and, and Jim, time, just one, one thing, let's yeah. just let everybody know he, he's not outside of uh, green Bay. He lives uh, outside of Denver. Actually. That's true. Yes. Yeah. I, I'm yeah. I, I went to college in green Bay. I'm from Wisconsin. Right. I was, it's very good to be from Wisconsin. Yeah. <laughs> I, but I love it here in Colorado. Yeah. yeah. So I've been here for about uh, eight years now. Um, so yeah, we, had our like, you know, local schools closed out at the time. My daughter was in first grade and my son was in preschool. So I was like, all right, you know, and I've been working from home. We were sort of used to having kids around anyway, but I saw a lot of other parents like really stressing about, okay, how are we going to handle this? And it was definitely a thing. So I started like this Facebook group that I called P's and Q, which was parenting, productivity, and quarantine. And that was what my blog. So I basically just as a, you know, to have a, post to put up in this group on the first day i thought well i'll just write about the first day of you know shutdown and the wacky things that happened and then i just thought well i'll just keep trying to do this every day thinking this would last for a few weeks <laughs> maybe yeah like right we all did yeah I was like oh yeah this is a couple of weeks yeah. we'll figure this out yeah um and it as it went on I really became, you know, aware of the fact that, I mean, first of all, you know, some people were reading it, which was great. And it was, I could feel myself sort of getting back into a writing habit that I'd long been trying to do. It was something for me to, to focus on. Um, and also just, yeah, being, you know, and getting to a point, and I think it took me till probably about three weeks into the blog to finally write something about, Hey, I'm feeling really anxious about all this. Like this mm. is difficult for me mm-hmm. to actually pull down an emotional wall because something I discovered about myself as a writer is, you know, part of being a writer is just turning words around and doing all kinds of stuff. I long my entire life pretty much used writing as more of a way to hide uh, and um, you know uh, set up a you know a, a vision of things and. I started to realize the power of using it instead to really express and to mm-hmm. be honest and true. Mm-hmm. And so I really leaned into that the more I wrote. Um, and then we got my son's autism diagnosis in April of that year. So oh. it was about a month into the thing. And at that time, you know, and I, I write about this in the book, I did not know how to process that. Like it mm-hmm. was, really emotional on top of everything else and we just didn't you know we were really scared and confused and I in particular you know didn't know how to talk about it so I went through this strange period of you know trying to write honestly but for a good three four months I didn't mention that even Mm -hmm. though it was a big part of our lives because we had you know we'd line up therapists and support and we had people you know even during this pandemic trying to figure out how to have people come to the house and be safe and um but then eventually I finally pulled that wall down too and, and spoke openly about that and was overwhelmed by the response. It was, you know, a lot of people who other folks of, you know, parents of kids uh, who are neurodiverse reached out and were like, Oh my gosh, me too. I just, I had, you know, just don't know how to talk about it. And so there was some of that, all that power in it of just, you know, keeping this habit up and of expressing myself. And then I'll be honest, like part of it became kind of this, dare against myself where I felt like if I didn't make a post and broke the streak, you know, it was, I was really, I was sort of, you know, you know, egging myself on to be like, well, how far can I push this? Like how much can I keep doing this? And there were days where I didn't want to write anything where I would really struggle, but I just put out something because I had, I think it helped to have this accountability quote unquote. I mean, it wasn't like a zillion people were reading my blog. I mean, it was a few, but I still, you know, knew it was out there. And I wanted to keep up that thing. And now that I've, you know, I've done that, I really felt like I've grown as a writer. And the other thing that I would say to parents is, you know, you don't, you don't have to go as crazy as me as and write these long blog posts every day, but the value of journaling, of writing anything down, because when I went back to write my book, I was shocked by things that I had completely forgotten about and was brought back to by reading some of these old posts of mine, you know, stories that, 
I would be heartbroken to have lost uh, at the time. Now, you know, a couple of them made made it as chapters in my book, and I would have completely forgotten about. Um, so, you know, I think that was an important piece of it for me too, and I'm glad to have captured that time because it was a strange time. It was a challenging time for our family, but also like I grew quite a bit. Our family grew quite a bit. We really had a lot of enrichment in it too. Um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm happy to have done that process. Uh, yeah. I was going to say <clears throat> that having 450 days of, of journaling during that time, right. Both the pandemic and your son's mm -hmm. diagnosis. Mm -hmm. I mean, what a self gift that is like to go back. I, I don't know how, and I've not read the book yet, Jim. Uh, I fully intend to, and, and Sean has told me he really enjoyed it, but Thank but uh, so I don't know how much of the journaling made it in there, at least like sequentially or whatever, but I'll bet it's fascinating to go back on occasion and, and read those first two weeks when we thought it was just that an extended spring break. Yeah. And then it turned into this fucking historical <laughs> cluster. So um, yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, and, and, you know, I have journaling on my calendar every morning and you know how often <laughs> I do it. It's so hard. It's so hard. I, I, same for, for, for yeah. as long as I can remember, I wanted it to be something that I do mm -hmm. and could just never, I mean, I write, I write the, you know, I write a blog for, for men living, but as far as doing that daily reflection, I'm like, ah, fuck it. I'm out. Oh, it's hard, I'm, man. I'm you know, I'm out. I, again, I, I can't, I'm going to stand here as a guy who's like, yeah, I had that stretch, but I'm still struggling to get, you know, I do it, but not as often as I'd like. And I'm, yeah, I finally started a new blog because I feel like I needed that outlet. Um, but yeah, it's, I think it's super valuable, but I'm also, yeah, it's, it's, it does take effort. It does take a little, you know, whether it's at the beginning of the day, at the end of the day, I think it's important you know, even if it's a couple of sentences, just to give you a touch point, right? Uh, to what that day was. So, right. did you did you study to be a writer? Is that what you did in college? Yeah. And, and I, then when it, when you graduated, did you start writing before you are doing what you're doing now? Yeah, I uh, have been writing professionally for a long time. I was an English major um, in college, and in fact, when I was in college, I wrote like I went to college, University of Wisconsin Green Bay, and I was the the humor columnist in the you know school paper for like three years. Mm -hmm. um, so I used to write like a weekly column, um, which is sort of where, you know, I got to into that type of thing. But then for the most part, like I've worked uh, for many years in publishing in various like trade magazines and things like that. So I've done a lot of, you know, writing and construction and architecture primarily, but also I've written for sports magazines for, I've written some uh, in the last couple of years since uh, kind of going through our, journey with Henry, my son, um, I've written for a uh, Colorado parent, um, a few articles about, you know, uh, disability services and things for, uh, for parents to, to look at, you know, those types of topics. Um, I, so. I, I, I want to hear about like the, 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 whatever precipitated the decision to say, okay, well now I'm actually going to write a book. Cause that's obviously a much bigger thing. But I have to share, I was chuckling for a second. I'm like, we were talking about how nice it is to be able to go back and read one's journals. And I'm like, oh, well, you can go back and read your humor writing in college. And I'm like, no, you, you probably like, no, you can't even find that on microfiche probably, right? You're right. And it's funny, like I have somewhere in a, you know, box downstairs, like I kept, you know, physical, like uh, I had like a scrapbook where I kept copies of them. Thank goodness. Although yeah. the funny thing is like, and that that would be wild to go back and read some of that stuff. Uh, although I'm sad to say that I could, there are several like gags that I used that I'm not going to lie that I've recycled, uh, even from uh, <laughs> from that far back. Sure, because they were pretty solid. I, I I wouldn't be. I'm trying to remember now. There's probably at least one in the book <laughs> that, that goes back that far. Well, so I one of the, sustainability, like it's you know. So one of the recycled. things that that. Uh, we've talked about that, that I think that you've explored is that when you started the blog and as, and as you continued to write, you were revealing more and more about yourself, how you mm -hmm. felt about things, what, you know, what was joyous for you, what was scary for you, all of that. And, and, and then when you got Henry's diagnosis, you know, you were, you, you know, you, as you said, you were uncomfortable or afraid to talk about it you had already started this process of revelation. Was there something specific about Henry's diagnosis that, that created more fear for you? Yeah. And, and I'm glad you asked that because I think this is, if there's a message I would say to parents out there, 
It's that I got this one 100% wrong. And I'm not saying that to be like self-flagellating. What I'm saying is that at the time, I really felt like I was doing him a favor mm. by not talking about it because I was more concerned about the label or what it means or like, and there was so much, I think, wrapped up for me at that point in time, uh, you know, for this, because we've, look, as a society, I mean, thinking back to, you know, when we first kind of really started hearing about autism broadly in popular culture, like in the nineties, you know, it's like, it's always been this kind of like boogeyman and, you know, oh my gosh. And, you know, the last thing you want is to have an autistic child. And it's like, I think there was so much built up around that, that you hear a lot now from the, you know, the like, you know, actually autistic community, you know, people who are in, you know, writing about this and in society and saying, it's like, yeah, it's hard. <laughs> you know, part of who you are is kind of created as this, you know, scary thing. And what I learned was it isn't, I mean, it's, yeah, it's part of who my son is. And I am super thankful now that we got that diagnosis because to have avoided it would be missing out on the chance to really understand and see who he is and really help support him. And, and, you know, he's just such an amazing kid and we've, you know, he's gotta be the hardest working individual I've encountered at, you know, age seven mm. and, you know, just has so much going for him. And, you know, at the time I thought I was like shielding him from some kind of, you know, judgment or something. But I remember what it was is that a few months, you know, into the process when we were getting, him therapy and things my wife and I were having dinner and had, and you know and she brought it up she's sort of like do you really think we're doing you know Henry any favors by not telling people and at this point we had told like close family and friends and we just but we just didn't you know and I really started thinking about it I was like you know I don't think we are uh we should you know he should be proud of who he is and we should be proud of who he is and talk about it and so it took me a little while to kind of come up with the right words um but uh, kind of coming over that realization was huge. And since then, you know, it's like, it's big. My wife uh, works as a coach uh, and, and sort of instructor to um, families with autistic kids. Uh, she actually is just in the process of releasing some new courses online for them, which is great. Cause it's, these are the kinds of things that like when we got the diagnosis, it's just like, well, good luck. Like it's, here's a list of like 500 providers, uh, you know, figure out what your insurance covers and, you know, you know, best of luck to you. And it's difficult because you don't know. It is a nuanced process of like understanding what, you know, because each child is different, their needs are different, like what Henry needed isn't what another kid is going to need. And, um, but we, you know, I have to give a lot of credit to my wife, who's a major researcher and just dug in and found us like fantastic providers who are able to make such a big difference. Um, and, you know, but I, I think it's important, I would say, for families and particularly dads, if I may say. Because one thing my wife has found is, you know, dealing with families, it's like, it is often the dad who is resistant to like, well, I don't want to get the assessment, uh, you know, because I'm worried it, as I was. And this is why I'm, I'm not coming from a place of getting this right out of the gates. Um, as somebody who's been through it, I would say to dads, like, be open to learning about what, you know, your child is and what they need. And you'd be surprised at what wonders are on the other end. That's great. Jim, can, can you, um, so I'm, I work for an education nonprofit that, mm. that, that invests in uh, a, a number of different things, including learning differences, but mm. um, for, for my own edification and for the listener, can you share a little bit about your experience with how the assessment gets done, how the diagnosis is made? What are the, you know, uh, like how granular is the diagnosis, et cetera? Good question. Um, and yeah, it was a process. I mean, the actual assessment was like a multi-hour thing. And it's fun. It's funny. We actually got to jump because it was like a eight month waiting list or something through Children's Hospital here. Um, and when COVID hit, they called us up and we're like, well, we could get you in a little bit sooner if you guys are willing to try this fancy new telehealth thing. Uh -huh. um, yeah, back when that was sort of just coming on. So we did that. But what it really was, was sitting, it was a lot of kind like we filled out a lot of kind of questionnaires about, you know, is he, you know, types of things about his behavior or how he, you know, sensory things. Um, and, you know, then had this like several hour dialogue with uh, an assessor who kind of went, you know, both through the telehealth thing, actually observed Henry for a while and talked to him and things like that. But a lot of it was questions to the parents and just kind of understanding, um, 
you know, different types of uh, behaviors that, you know, so for example, with Henry, it's like, he always had a lot of sensory seeking behaviors where he would like, he'll like pinch my hand or he, he likes to jump. You'll see there's like a trampoline behind me here in the room because mm-hmm. he likes to jump on that. Um, and he does, he does some types of, you know, you'll hear about stimming with uh, uh, people with autism and that can be, you know, sometimes it's like hand movements and things for Henry. A lot of times it's humming. He likes, you know, he'll just sort of hum as he's walking around, but it's a way of sort of self-soothing. And so, you know, I remember going through the assessment process and at times feeling like, you know, the way the questions were, just thinking like, oh man, yeah, I think maybe he is autistic. And the other times being like, ah, you know, cause you hear a lot of the, you know, a lot of sort of the stereotypical stuff and, and, You'll, you'll see people say like, oh, people, you know, autistic individuals, you know, never make eye contact or they're, you know, really um, can't form social relationships and things. And it's like, yeah, there are autistic individuals who have difficulty in social relationships and who, you know, for, for whom eye contact is difficult. You know, for my, you know, my son doesn't have a problem with that. He, his social connections were a little different. Um, and he, you know, my daughter has like a million friends and he would sort of parallel play. Like he'd play next to other kids, but not really Mm. engage with them. But honestly, in the last couple of years, that's completely changed. And he's got like some really good friends. And, um, so everyone is different and there are, you know, that's why I'm, I always tell people to be a little wary of sort of the, the, the easy stereotypes because yeah, neurodiversity is a wide range of things. Yeah. And that's part of what, so we went through this assessment. He was officially diagnosed as like autism level two or autism. It's called autism spectrum disorder, ASD level two. And I'll be hundred percent honest with you at this point. I still don't exactly know what the whole level two, it's like a level one, level two, level three, you know, and uh, you know, there's, I know differences between them. It essentially to my understanding means that he, you know, needs some certain supports. Uh, and he does in school and, you know, he'll, he'll be noise sensitive. We have headphones for him that he wears sometimes. Um, you know, he does need some, some supports at school, but he's in you know a regular class and he works with some special ed teachers and things like that. But, um, and, you know, we're working right now. In fact, speaking of assessments, we're literally right in the middle of the process of, we've also discovered he may be dyslexic as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're getting him assessed for that. You know, and this was another one of those moments when I first heard it, I was like, oh man. And then I'm like, you know what, let's find out. Um, mm-hmm. Because honestly, if we can find out, we can get him help. And yeah. so let's do it. How, how far into COVID did you get the diagnosis? Or like a month. A month <laughs> like, in. Okay. Yeah. okay. It was like late April. Um, yeah. Well, and I think the other, the other thing is, and you know, I, we'll, we'll put a we'll put a link to your new, new blog post on his parenting, which is, which is really good. Um, but we also should put a link to Aaron. If Aaron yeah. has a website, um, because does, yeah. one of the things was Aaron was going to launch a health coaching, right. That's right. A health coaching mm-hmm. business. And yep. um, when COVID hit that, that, that went down the shitter, but, yeah. but <laughs> what's evolved yes. is, a, is a whole different, what, <laughs> it's, mean, it did. I mean, I mean no, 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 no. I, I, there's, wait, there's, it just wasn't there's like, sunshine. hey, look, nobody was doing anything for a while. There's sunshine was... on the other side of this. She, she, <laughs> she started. She started. She, yeah. Why are you? Why are you looking at me like that? I just Chris. think that's classic Sean Emerson. It what? went down the shitter. Well, that, I, that went down the shitter. It did. Hey, anyway, a lot did. of things went down the shitter in 2020. Right, did, right. Did. And what yeah. she did is she started, and she yeah. started this this um what does she call it i mean so it's it's like it's basically like you know kind of a parent coaching family you know family so way it started for her was so yeah she was literally like just in early stages of trying to launch this health coaching business when covid hit and then first of all it was like yeah everything was shutting down it was you you couldn't really network anymore and then also she really had to you know she shifted her attention to getting the right help for henry because that's a full-time job i mean both of us we're spending an, an enormous amount of time just, you know, for me, it was like, I was mostly dealing with like insurance companies and stuff, but she was the one who was really out front, like doing the research, finding out what you needed, finding the right people. So what, and also then there's like programs to the state that you can get some support on. And those are super confusing and complicated. So she put a lot of time and effort into that stuff. And then at the end of it, it's just like, you know, how, the, how in the world do the families do this? Like, it's so difficult and so challenging. And she really you know, thought, you know, this is something I can really help with. And so she launched her business. uh, It's called mountain summit coaching. 
And, you know, she at first kind of was doing more like navigation services and helping families like find specific providers. And that sort of grew into more general because look, you sort of need help just finding your way through the process in general. Like I, you know, I, I've said a million times, like I would have jumped all over the place to to hire somebody like this when we were going through it, because it's just such a confusing yeah. dark tunnel. Uh, and, you know, she, a having been there and B, you know, she has this big network of, of people she works with in the industry and she just has a really, uh, you know, good perspective and a lot to share in that. So that's, that's where she's, that's what she's doing now. I'm curious, is she, is she uh, busy right now? I mean, has she got a full slate of clients? I mean, she's, she's got openings, she's looking, but yeah, she's got clients and she's yeah. got a new, this new coursework she's doing also. She's yeah, the right. one thing she's just right now starting to uh, launch. And I, you know, uh, uh, I think it, it is a great concept that she's trying to start like a, um, um, a, like a group for uh, moms of autistic kids mm -hmm. specifically mm -hmm. just to, you know, both for content and education and also for just, you know, sharing the way we share here, um, yeah. just to be able to talk about what's going on. So those are some of the new initiatives she's got going on along with, yeah, her, her clients as well. Yeah. It's, I, I half joke uh, frequently about having married up. Um, it sounds <laughs> like you, uh, you, you found yourself a pretty, pretty excellent oh, partner. Heck yes. Uh, definitely married up. Uh, and yeah, couldn't be, prouder of my whole family and you know something I, I mean, i've talked a lot about my son and my my wife i also have to give a shout out to my daughter who's been fantastic through this whole thing too because she's you know that's another thing it's not easy for siblings always when you have this type right. of situation and she's just been a rock star so you know i've amelia i've she's married up old? i've you know apparently like you know kitted up too because yep. my kids are both <laughs> fantastic uh, amelia, uh, amelia is yeah. how old she is nine nine yeah yep oh, and chris what do you mean half kid there, I mean, there's no half kidding yeah. about it. Yeah, that's right. I'm not, I'm not kidding. Like, no, she's fantastic. My ass would be like, on the side I, of the road somewhere. I, yeah. Yeah. No, no. And, and honestly, like, I'm so, th I mean, she's taught me so much about, you know, like we've learned together about, um, you know, kind of being the best parents we can be to each of our kids who have individual needs. And, you know, it's, I give her a lot of credit. Thanks for listening to If You've Come This Far. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Judson & Moore, Chicago Distillers of American Whiskey. Their distillery is located in the Avondale neighborhood on the west bank of the Chicago River, just south of Belmont Avenue. If you enjoy great whiskey, you'll want to check out their award-winning bourbon, rye, and single malt whiskeys. And we'd also encourage you to pay them a visit, have a fantastic cocktail or two, and enjoy some of the amazing live music they attract to their tasting room from around the country. Learn more at judsonandmore.com. Now back to the show. So let's talk about being the best parents you can be, because I have this vision. So, so Jim is a very nice guy and uh, his, his book is very sweet and it's called fence bat yep. and fence. And, and so I have, so I'm going to tell you a little bit about what fence bat is. And then Jim will, will, I have this vision that Jim and Aaron are like, get these kids out of the house, send them out in the backyard. I don't give a shit what they do. Give them a bath, throw them some, throw them some toys out there. They love their kids. Don't get me wrong. You're, 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 but it's just you're. like, I, I can't get them out of the house just for, just for an hour. Yes. And you're so, not wrong. And so, and so then they started coming up. Yeah. As we do when we're kids, we start coming up yeah. with weird games. And so fence bat is one of those weird games they came up with when Jim and Aaron kicked them out of the house. Totally. And and there were millions of these during it. Well, they still are like the kids are constantly still making up games, but yeah, this was just like, one day I look out and yeah, this foam bat is stuck between the lats of the fence and they're both like running and trying to, they're both, you know, smaller at that point in time and trying to, you know, jump up to it. And it was like, yeah, it was this weird game where one of them would try to like jump up and stick it in the fence. And then the other one would try to get it out. And they were just laughing and just making this big goofball thing about it. And this went on for like a couple of, like, I would just go like at the end of the day to go like, you know, see you know put anything away that's in the yard and see this bat sticking off the fence like you know for weeks and that was always sort of an emblem of that time for me um but yeah it's it totally was like go out and play like i uh i still remember the my very first post was it like henry was out playing 
and I'm trying to get some work done because I just try to get him out of the house for a few minutes. And I hear like I see this like blast of leaves fly through like in front of the the door. And he comes running out looking like, you know, one of the lost boys or something like that. Just like he'd gotten into some pile of leaves and was just covered in grime and dirt and like running around laughing I'm like, well, OK. <laughs> Keeps it out of the house for a few minutes. <laughs> I could, I could say, I, if it was me, I'd be looking out the window and Lisa'd be like, "Oh, should we have them come in?" And be like, "Oh no, they're having like, a great no, time. No. Keep them out there for another hour." He's having a wild time. Right. It's great. Right. That's yeah. right. <laughs> so, so, One more round of fence bat. So, yeah. so let's stick with the book for a little bit. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you talked, Jim, about how you, you know, you you studied English. Um, you've been writing in some way, shape, or form for most of your career. It sounds like. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this, you know, then the, then the blog for 450 days, which I'm sure by itself would have been enough to fill up a book. But like the actual act of setting up to write and publish a book, like w- was that something you woke up to one morning and is like, I'm going to do this or or you know, how'd that whole thing go down? That's a Yeah, that's a good question. This really was, uh, you know, I dabbled for years about like, oh, I just wanted to write a book. You know, or I, I, I've started so many books. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I got I got some great starts uh, and fizzle out. And honestly, like, yeah, I thought like, well, you know, as I was writing it, I was like, well, I should do something with this, uh, you know, at, even through the process. And then, you know, I decided to end it because, you know, uh, it's funny. I ended it in like June of 2021. I remember my last post was I was going on my first work trip, uh, you know, because so, you know, it was the world of concrete, as a matter of fact uh was open it was like the first major trade show to open up and i thought okay we're shifting into a different period now and i wanted to like focus on doing like a book or something so i thought all right maybe i'll get off the daily post thing it it was it felt like a good ending point of course this didn't predict omicron or anything that was going to come later (laughs) Uh, i was like whoops I, i jinxed that a little bit but um uh, but yeah, it was, I think, December of that year. And again, I have to give credit to my wife because she was like, you know, if you want to do this, it's maybe something you should, you know, you have to kind of take it seriously and, and you know, think about, do you need like a, a publishing coach or something like that, which is what I wound up doing. Like I connected with this group through somebody I know here in Denver um, called Rogue Publishing. And what they are is basically kind of a consortium of professionals who help uh, folks who want to self-publish. So I, you know, connected with kind of this, you know, she sort of like oversees the process and was like a, you know, she um, did a lot of the backend work for me of like setting up ISBNs and like setting me up with Amazon and like, you know, all the publishing, you know, printing houses and stuff. And she also was just sort of a shepherd at the beginning of the, you know, the journey of, all right, here's, you know, some suggestions about how to get started and some different techniques so I worked with her for like just a couple months at that point just to get me on the path and then you know I decided I set a timeline for myself and took it seriously like I worked on it every day I even took the step which you know still feels like so gratuitous to me like as you know somebody who's like you know has trouble like doing things for myself I took like a writing retreat weekend uh which was fantastic I went up to Vail and just wrote and I got like more done in a weekend than, you know, I could have imagined. And, yeah, uh, and that really like got me towards the end. And then, you know, yeah, the, through this group, I was set up with a couple editors to interview. I picked one who was fantastic. She did a great job, um, designer, all that stuff. And then kind of did the, the final work in the fall and the book actually came out like just before Christmas. My guess is that most of the good books that have ever been written, didn't start as, Hey, I'm going to write a book, but rather I'm going to write this book. Um, And so I'm curious about at what point did you start to really like, did you have this idea fleshed out that really what I want to talk about and say and share is parenting and in, in the shit show, like, was that, did that become clear early in the blog process or, or, yeah, this one was I will I will say this one was in was me. And that's a really good question because there was something about this that I couldn't walk away from because I thought about writing the book, you know, about this time originally and then when I stopped doing the blog and it was even like having convers you know, I have to say it's like having conversations with people. It's like, yeah, I kind of want to write this, you know, snapshot of this time of being a parent during COVID and everyone's like nobody wants to talk about COVID. Mm-hmm. Which which, you know, 
is maybe is legitimate but it's like even in the face of that i was like i I can't not do this like this was one of those projects that i felt like i can't move on until i do this Uh uh-huh um and so i and i look and i'll say it to this day like i do think it's important i think you know it's well first of all look there's general like personal growth and parenting things in this book that have nothing to do with COVID. Like it just happens to have happened during that time. Mm -hmm. But I also think as a society, we've really kind of just decided like, let's just kind of pretend that didn't happen and and keep going, which, you know, I'm all for moving on, but I also think let's acknowledge that we all went through some trauma there. (laughs) Like we, none of us came out the same on the other end, I would posit. And uh, I think it's important to at least take a minute and reflect on that. uh, So we can grow in a positive way. I, I, I think I've grown from it. I don't, I don't, I, 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 mean, I don't know, just assessing it. I do too. Like I, I think yeah, it wasn't like, all bad for mm-hmm. me personally. Same. I for mean, me. that's kind of yeah. what I, you know, sometimes you can go through difficult things that make you, you know, that are, you know, yeah. there's positives too. And that's when I look at this time for a lot of reasons, I wouldn't trade any of it because yeah. I definitely came out as a better person on the other end. I'm just thinking back to um, Susan Engel. I think it was Susan Engel, where where I, I asked someone who was a uh, an academic, a researcher, if they had explored ways in which kids sort of writ large you did. had actually grown in in positive ways through this whole thing. And I think the answer was like, oh, that's an interesting question. We haven't really done that. Uh, well, because I asked the question about all this discussion about their behind. And it was like, yeah. uh, you know, that doesn't. I don't get that. They're behind of what? And she agreed. And then you went and asked that question, which. Right. Like there are certain muscles that, that I know I grew or strengthened that my kids grew or strengthened that they would not have otherwise. So I, I don't know. I, I think that's a, it's a good message and, and, you know, I'm looking forward to reading the book and, you know, it's, it marks time in a way that's, that's yeah. really neat. Like people are going to read your book. Um, people were going to read it who weren't born yet right yeah, at some right. point um yeah. and they'll be like yeah. what the fuck was that up all yeah about? right you know they'll be they watching survive? professional fence bat and it'll right. be like oh, <laughs> wow it, it, it yeah, happened you, in that, this guy's backyard wow you know, that, that becomes an olympic level sport it's yeah. gonna be henry, it's gonna be time henry to switch schneider off he's all you know, about, yeah, he's oh a hall of famer it's amazing <laughs> um, see him with the like you know like a javelin pose we, like yeah it's gonna be great we have to come back to this because I'm sure all the listeners are thinking, man, would I love to go to the world of concrete? What, oh. what, ha- what, I mean, yeah, what's going down there? On. That's I'm so glad you asked. Ama- like, that's gotta be amazing. This is such a, like, no joke. Like, well, you know, even this has been such a ma- major part of my life. Uh, my, I met my wife at world of concrete. This is oh, true. Wow. Uh yes, I, I have a million jokes that are now forming oh. in my head, <laughs> buddy. I've yeah, I, I joked that you know when I was going to propose, I would be like, "Would you be the cement to my aggregates?" You know, but, uh, but no, we, total inside joke, by the way. Oh yes, yes, there are a few concrete folks out there. Great, um, but yeah, we I I used to work for the, so I now run like a national or a, a regional chapter of this concrete association. I used to work for the national group in Chicago. And that's when I started going to world of concrete in like the mid two thousands. And yeah, it was like through a mutual friend. I was at dinner and yeah, uh, that's where I met my wife. Like, and, and, you know, part of it is, you know, things are relative. Like, you know, when you, you go to world of concrete, it's a lot of like swarthy contractor types and stuff like that. So, you know, I look pretty good at world of concrete. World of concrete. That's you know, uh, I'm a little younger than the she average would, attendee back Aaron then. Aaron would you know? say you were a catch at the world right, of concrete. Right. Yeah, right. you right. stood out. You stood out. You That's stood right. Out. Yeah. Oh, what? I was you know a little you know at the time in my 30s you know a little younger and, and so uh, yeah. What was uh, she doing at the world of? What was her role? Yeah. She used to work for a magazine that uh, was in the concrete industry, and she sold she was sold ads. So basically, like. She was there with like uh, this guy who was like a common uh, colleague of both of them because he would sell that, you know, ads to our um, or we'd buy ads, you know, in their magazine or whatever. And uh, that's how we met. Yeah. So very romantic. 
World of Concrete. How, how uh, many people actually go to World of Concrete? Oh man, in the day it used to be like 80, 90,000. I Holy don't know what the shit. it's town it's gone down a little bit over the years, but uh it's a big show. Like it pretty much takes up the entire Las Vegas Convention Center. They got they've had the parking lot all full with these demos and stuff. I mean, people really get into this <laughs> this thing. Do like curious, just like curious people come, or I mean, can you buy like, hey, I'm just a, a guy oh, yeah. to visit? Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, sure. Yeah, not people, that I will be, but I'm yeah, just not. Curious. You know, I'm not I'm necessarily just... recommending it, but it's uh, yeah, a lot of people show up for this thing, and they're just kind of you know, it's it's funny too because just the whole it's concrete dudes, right? You know, so they're yeah. all like these guys are walking around with you know beer at nine in the morning. You know, it's uh, it's it's pretty heavy duty. Not that we're stereotyping concrete. No, for heaven's sake. No, many right. sophisticated that every, people in the concrete right. industry. Thank you, Todd. Yeah. Not, that, not that they're all <laughs> drinking at 9 a.m. in the morning. No, but. no. Yes. Some but it is Vegas. It, it is, is Vegas, Vegas and right. it's concrete. So literally the only, I think only Orlando and Vegas are big enough for it. Yeah. Like that's the thing. Yeah. Wow. It's a big show. So, um, Jim, uh, you, you strike, I mean, you wrote this book, you did this blog, you think a lot about parenting, you obviously, um, or you, you strike me as someone who thinks about what kind of mark you're going to leave on the world. Uh, if, if I said to you, uh, like, I want to, uh, how, I don't know what the jargon is in the publishing world, but I want to prepay for your next five books. Would you drop the concrete career altogether at the drop of a hat or, or is there, are you still getting fulfillment out of your concrete career? That's a, that's an interesting question. Uh, and I would say, you know, it's actually, it's sort of two different answers. Like, Hey, if some big, you know, publishing house came up to me and said, Hey, here's a bunch of money. I went and do nothing but write books. Like I'd love to just write books. That'd be great. Um, but that doesn't mean that I don't, I'm not enjoying and getting fulfilled by what I'm doing. Cause actually I do, I really enjoy my work. I do a lot um of work in this industry on sustainability which is something i also care quite a bit about Uh um so you know i'm developing content that's helping to you know educate architects and engineers about sustainability and you know material choices and things and also trying to be a voice within our industry for us to do better um as well so you know it's yeah in a perfect world sure i would love to just write for a living um and maybe that day will come someday but uh for now man i'm I'm pretty happy with what i'm doing like i i i'm pretty lucky uh in all ways in that respect yeah that's F- fiction or non-fiction both i have aspirations to write both um yeah. i have i'm already like you know turning around ideas for my next you know sort of parenting book uh but i've got yeah i've got a few uh fiction tales in mind too that i eventually want to get to interesting have yeah. you written have you written fiction articles in the past yeah, I've written some short stories and uh, actually I did that during COVID too. There were some like just fiction contests I submitted to or screenwriting. I used to I do I used to do a lot of screenwriting. I went to film school once upon a time, um, and uh, you know that's a fun little uh, side thing. Too. I love the form of screenwriting is fun, is is one of my favorite things to do. It's a lot of fun because I just love writing dialogue. That's a that's a that's a tough biz <laughs> to break into. So yeah, we talked we talked to Matthew Quick about that when we interviewed him. He was he was uh I mean, because I think I mean he ends up writing most of the time, he's writing screenplays of his books. Interesting. Uh, so the other thing I want to say is um that I have kind of co-opted Jim for is so Chris, I think I mentioned this to you. We we learned a few months ago that the construction industry has the highest rate of suicide of any industry by far. And uh, obviously, given that it's male dominated, um, something that got our attention at men living. And so we um, we've created a as a starting point, we created a full house that we're going to do on May 15th. And and we're targeting it towards men in the construction industry. And so starting to reach out and and let let them know that we exist and, you know, just kind of talking about what's going on with you can be one small way of of getting through some tough times. And so, um, so Jim's kind of helping, helping us reach out and engage yeah. people in that conversation as well, which yeah, is, I think it's super important. Cool. And yeah, I'm working on some written content for that. Cause I really, it started off because I mentioned it to you. I was like, Oh yeah, I just want to write, you know, like a post about it. But then I really yeah. started thinking about it. It's like, no, nah, this deserves a little bit better, uh, or in depth treatment. So I'm, I'm looking out to some folks to interview, to get some perspective. Um, you know, this could 
you know, it's something I also feel pretty strongly about. And I think it is just kicking open the door for people to understand that it's okay to talk about things. It's okay to, you know, to be having some struggles and to be upfront about that. Cause a lot of us do. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm upfront about, you know, I've dealt with anxiety and, you know, I seek therapy and, you know, it's been super important to my growth. And I think it's important for people to understand that there is help out there and there is, it's everything, you know, certainly nothing to fear about seeing it. Well, and I think even, you know, is jokingly referring to the, to the guys that show up at world of concrete. I mean, there's a, there's an attitude. I mean, there, there's a vibe in the industry that may not be supportive of, of um, you know, the kinds of things we're talking about, which is being open and vulnerable about, about things that might be going on in your life. And uh, in order to, you know, save yourself in, in, in some instances. And so um, the fact that we're trying to bring some light to that is, I think is a good thing. Oh, I think it's a great thing. I, I really applaud the group for pushing this, um, you know, topic out there. Cause I just think it's, you know, it's, it's unspoken and it should, be. I mean, you know, it is, it's a shocking statistic. I was yeah. shocked and I heard it too. Um, Me too. it's, although it's one of those things that is shocking and yet not surprising, you know, it's when you process it, you're like, Oh yeah, it makes sense, but it's, it shouldn't be that way. Yeah. Yeah, my dad was in construction his entire life um mm. and it was uh he died in 06 so i haven't been exposed to it for a long time but it always did strike me as a very sort of old school industry right like yeah. um, which i think sort of uh enables the sort of toxic some of the toxic parts i know some people don't like that term of masculinity just to flourish oh, there i yeah. would not disagree and and while i will say i've seen improvements you know, since I first fell into the industry in 2004, um, and it's, I would say it's, you know, better now than it was then, but that's doesn't mean we don't have a long way to go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I know I've, I can go over a little bit. I don't know how you guys are on time, Jim. I'm fine for right now, actually. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, we, 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 we want to wrap up with our, our yeah. three canned questions, but, but I, I did want to explore just a little bit more because of the work that I do. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to maybe hear you talk a little bit more about how that, how Henry's experience in the school system in education has been and how it's evolved for you guys. Yeah. And, and sometime, by the way, I'd love to hear more about what you do as well. Um, and uh, I will say for us, it's like, yeah, once we got the diagnosis and at the time, you know, we went through about a you know a year because he was at kind of preschool age then um, of getting in-home therapy, OT and different things um, for a period of time. And then um, once it got to be time to, you know, think about at least getting him into some pre-K because we were worried about his socialization, you know, during mm-hmm. COVID and there was at least some limited open pre-K at our neighborhood school by, you know, I guess that was 2021. Um, And so we reached out to the district and went through the process with them to get him an IEP, individualized education program. Um, And so they did an assessment, got him set up. He he did well in kindergarten here at our district school, like in our neighborhood. But then we also were kind of like, you know, my, in my wife's work, she came across a charter school in our uh, neck of the woods that was a little bit more like student driven learning they the way they're set up is like sort of like grades one to two and three and four are in these sort of pods together. And mm-hmm. so there can be a little bit more, um, you know, as kids are maybe a little bit more behind, they kind of switch around and, and move in between those grade levels in certain areas. And they have a lot of um, support for, you know, they, they have a lot of neurodivergent kids there. So um, we decided to check that out. We applied there and he got in and it's been great. Um, He's really, you know, had a, a good experience there. His uh, support staff is fantastic. We just had a meeting with his IEP team a couple of weeks ago, and we're actually having one this week because it's literally, I think tomorrow or Wednesday, we're getting results for, you know, we had this um, dyslexia and other, you know, dysgraphia, these other types of things uh, assessed for him. So we're getting the results for that so we can incorporate it into his IEP for uh, next year, any supports that may be helpful there. So it's really like, and I've written about this too, uh, about the IEP process. I mean, I would say to parents, it's so important to engage with your school. 
uh, you know, if they're eligible for an IEP or I'm forgetting what the, there's a 504, you know, seek out that, uh, you know, that potential and see if you can get the right supports for your kid. And also we work, I would highly suggest if you can to work with an education advocate. We have a team of folks we work with who are just amazing and who have a lot of experience kind of going over the technical details of of these IEPs and have helped us get him the support and uh, goals that he needs. Um, so it's, it's being, you know, it's, it's an active process. You have to be engaged with it. And always, you know, we always say like the biggest thing is to advocate for your child, you're your child's advocate. So, you know, generally, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, it can be, it's a collaborative process, hopefully with schools. Sometimes it can be, you know, it can be combative sometimes. It depends on the school and their resources. And so, you know, it's always important for you to kind of know your your rights and your kids' rights and to, you know, go in with as collaborative a spirit as possible and, and do the best for your student. Yeah, I feel like <clears throat> that's the it's education and healthcare. You need to you need to advocate for yourself, yeah. right? You can't just assume yes. that they're, they're experts 100%. that are gonna walk you through mm-hmm. the whole process or well one well, and in the end i think we have to be our greatest advocate i mean it's great to have help right but yeah. i mean uh, you know i think you take in as much data as you can and then and then we have to, we have to you know we have to push it as aggressively as we can right because even an education advocate or a healthcare advocate is is great but in the end oh, we yeah. own it Right? That's exactly right. It, 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 that's just giving you the information or it's giving you, yeah. you know, the way we see it, it's like, they're helpful in the way that like an attorney is, you know, going over like a contract where yeah. it's like, okay, I maybe don't yeah. understand everything I'm looking at here. And I know what I give a lot of credit to our advocate team was they were looking at a lot of his kind of reports and things. And they're like, you know, one of them has had, I think one of her children has dyslexia. And so it, it triggered her senses to be like, I, he might be, you know, having, you know, some issues there. So it might be something to check out. And most kids don't get assessed for that until they're like in third or fourth grade, our son's in first grade. And the trouble as she put it, it was just like, by the time you get to third or fourth grade, the right. kid is just giving up. They're just saying like, well, I can't read, like, I'm, I can't do this. And we don't want that for him. So if that is the case, um, we want to get him the support he needs for that too. So. Should we wrap up with Jim here? Yeah. All right. right. Yeah. There's three questions we got to ask you. All right. They're canned questions. Don't think too hard. The first one is try. (laughs) What do you wish you could have told your 10 year old self? Wow. Um, That's a really good question. Um, I think uh, I I would just, I tell my, my 10 year old self to really lean into the writing and to just, you know, be, you know, I, I grew up on a in a small town in Wisconsin, and I think always, you know, dreamed of getting out and seeing the world and all that stuff. I, I think I would really love to just tell my ten year old self that, hey, a great adventure awaits. <laughs> Question number two: Do you have a mantra in life, or or even a mantra these days? Oh boy, um, it's. <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, my mantra right now, and it's not like sophisticated or a good, uh, you know, quote or anything, but it's just, it is really just trying to be open to new things and be honest. And, you know, and because as simple as that sounds, it's something that I think I was afraid of that for a really long time. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, it is a lot of just sort of trying to push new boundaries and, you know, be open to things. Uh, and, it is, you know, as I think we've talked about in some of the groups, like it's a little bit of fake it till you make it sometimes. Um, mm-hmm. um, and it, which does remind me of one of my all-time favorite quotes, though, from Groucho Marx, which is, the secret to life is honesty and fair dealing. And if you can fake that, you got it made. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard that. That's, That's so good. good. That's good. That's so good. Um, okay, last question. Uh, what do you hope, Jim, that people will say about you at your wake? Uh, I hope people will just say that I, you know, brought some light to their life. Like it, whether it was, you know, just that, you know, uh, made them hopefully think about something in a different way or, you know, encourage them to be honest and 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 engage in, in connections with people like I do like I 
something I've really thought a lot about post COVID was, you know, I've, I've always been sort of a, a social creature and I really love my friends and family. And I kind of got into a cocoon even before COVID, like just getting busy and having kids and like, you know, you kind of lose some of that connection and it's something I'm really trying to push back out again. And I hope that it's, you know, I'm always proud and like different people I'm friends with get to be friends with each other. And, you know, I, I hope some of that gets talked about. <laughs> Well, Jim, um, we will talk more about education at some point. I'm sure I'll be on a meeting or two with you at some point with Men Living. I'm going to get that book, um, learn how to play fence bat. Um, Yes, we'll we'll, we'll get together and do it sometime. Great. (laughs) I'm actually, one of these days, I'm putting my kids out in the yard to play it again so I can do like a video to share because it's been a while. (laughs) You should. You should. Yeah. See if they still got it. Right? They'll be see if we still got be, it. Yeah, yeah, they'll be like, right. "What are you talking about? What's fence bat?" I don't <laughs> totally. even know what you're talking about. Well, that. no, they remember. Right. It's funny because they were actually uh, they were just out playing some baseball yesterday, using the bat in the proper way. Uh, yesterday, nice. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Well, Jim, a pleasure. Thank thanks for joining us. Uh, keep up the good writing. Um, we're gonna let people know where honest parenting is so they can subscribe to your blog. Um, Thank you. And yeah, uh, Mountain Summit Coaching yeah. is my wife's uh, website too. That's a uh, check that out. For yeah, and we'll put some we'll put that community. in whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, whatever they call the the notes thing that accompanies cool. uh, this blog post. Um, but thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. This great has been to great. meet you. You too. Peace and love, boys. See you, fellas. Right. Thanks, guys. Appreciate right. it. See you soon. All right. This is Chris. Thanks again for joining us on this episode of If You've Come This Far. And this is Sean. Remember to check us out at menliving.org.